1: i'm abc's aaron katursky and this is bringing america back what you need to know eating out is a way of life in new york city and starting monday restaurants were supposed to be able to offer diners a seat indoors as part of the city's phased reopening that is now postponed even a week ago Honestly, I was hopeful we could, but the news we have gotten from around the country gets worse and worse all the time. Mayor Bill de Blasio and Governor Andrew Cuomo expressed concern today the rising number of coronavirus infections elsewhere could cause a resurgence in New York. The rate of positive tests is rising in 32 states. The number of people going to the hospital with COVID-19 is increasing in 25 states. FEMA documents obtained by ABC News show Illinois is at risk of a resurgence. Mississippi reported a 117% increase in new cases. Certain hospitals in Arizona are maxed out. And in Texas, cases doubled for the second straight week in San Antonio. In Wisconsin, the city of Madison and surrounding Dane County issued a new order that limits gatherings and prohibits indoor dining and drinking.
2: It's clear that alcohol and coronavirus... Do not mix. People don't make responsible decisions when crowding into a bar or partying on a Saturday night. That's why the new public health orders are so important.
1: Madison Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway pleaded with her community.
2: We need individuals and businesses alike to take this public health threat seriously and know that we are enforcing the public health orders. Responsible businesses should double down on efforts to protect patrons and workers, including not only providing face coverings for workers as required, but also by encouraging patrons to use face coverings. To our younger population, I want to remind you, you have to wear a face covering.
1: If people want to comply and purchase masks on their own, they increasingly are running into dubious sellers, As online orders have increased, the Federal Trade Commission said so too have reports about sellers failing to deliver on promised goods, or just failing to deliver, period. During April and May of 2020, more people reported problems with online shopping than in any other month on record. More than half said they never got the items they ordered. The FTC's Emma Fletcher is with us now. I know reports of unreceived goods have been rising for years, really, as Americans do more of their shopping online but what about pandemic purchases?
3: We hit April and it just shot upward and continued to climb into May. Uh, In May, we had twice as many reports of unreceived items as we did in December, just to give you an idea of the scale of the problem. And these were reports about all sorts of items, but it was also driven by reports of items that obviously people were buying because of the pandemic, things like face masks and Uh, More than 7% of the reports were specifically about unreceived face masks.
1: And these are complaints that the FTC fields, as you say, routinely. But in particular, when you're talking about items that are necessary for public health, that that seems to make this all the more egregious.
3: Absolutely, it does. Uh, You know, people want these items to protect themselves. They need these items. They need them quickly. And they're simply not getting them. They are ordering from sites that often look very polished they look legitimate uh they may be advertising on social media they seem trustworthy they they don't have the the unprofessional look that people might expect of a site that's just kind of been been put up overnight Um, but in fact that often is exactly what they are they 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 pop up under different names and they disappear and reemerge uh they run from fake reviews in that way, although you can still find the the negative information about them. If you Google the company name and words like scam or complaint, typically you're going to find negative information out there. Now you might find fake positive information too, but you're going to find the the negative information that might tell you, you know, okay, maybe look for a company that I know and and trust uh, to buy these items.
1: So consumers have to do their homework.
3: Do some searching don't rely on the look and feel of the website or an advertisement that seems very professional go ahead and check it out further and also if you do buy buy with a credit card because you have protections that way if you don't get what you ordered you can dispute the charges so you have you have protection with a credit card
4: talk about
1: face masks in particular in that april may time frame as we were all sort of coming to understand the importance of wearing them
3: that's right people people were ordering Often, you know, the cloth face masks that we were being encouraged to wear, uh, I'm not necessarily referring specifically to N95 face masks or face masks that might not have met medical standards or anything like that. You know, that's not what this is about. This is about people ordering face masks, period, to protect themselves of, of all types and then just flat not getting them. People also order things like toilet paper, sanitizer, gloves, that sort of thing and didn't receive them. But face masks really, really stood out.
1: And are you able to differentiate from the complaints, which turn out to just be outright scams, these kinds of, as you say, crop up sites that are taking advantage of the consumer in a pandemic, and which may just be for whatever more legitimate reason, an item just didn't show up?
3: Some of the reports in the mix might be issues where an item didn't show up. But generally, I think consumers are not going to take the step of filing a complaint unless they're pretty confident that there's a, there's a real problem.
1: So it really does suggest that there are and have been scammers out there that are you know, playing on, on consumer fears.
3: Absolutely. And, they, they, you know, the reports show that they seem to have really honed their skill at making themselves appear extremely legitimate working social media very effectively, the sites look very polished, and they know how to quickly change course to start selling things that are showing high demand.
1: I was going to ask you, Emma, if you were surprised by the speed uh, with which scammers were able to take advantage of coronavirus fears like this.
3: That's a good question. Uh, was I surprised? Uh, I've you know been looking at fraud data for a long time and I know that scammers can move really quickly. So I wasn't so surprised by the speed. I guess you could say I was a little surprised by the scale of it. It just, you know, abruptly soars the number of complaints about this uh, in April and then on into May. Uh, The scale has been tremendous. I guess that speaks to how much all of our lives have been impacted by this. But, but yes, that, that aspect of it surprised
1: me. Emma Fletcher at the Federal Trade Commission, to which you can always file a complaint if you run into a problem. The governor of California announced he's closing indoor operations for at least the next three weeks for 19 different counties. That means bars, restaurants, museums, breweries, wineries, movie theaters. And there is an emergency room doctor on the front lines of the coronavirus crisis in California who can attest to why those measures are necessary. She's trying to combat rising casualties in the hard-hit Latino community, as our Will Carr tells us now, making the hospital hallways her home away from home.
5: Dr. Erica Flores Uribe has little time off. There are no vacations, and she's been cut off from her family, all because she's here inside LA County's USC Medical Center, While she is from Los Angeles, this hospital, which serves a community vastly made up of color, has become her home away from home as cases continue to surge.
6: This is my community, Uh, the communities that we serve, the patients that we serve are really like my family. It's not uncommon for me to take care of my patients in the ER and eight out of 10 of them are Spanish speaking.
5: According to the CDC, hospitalization rates are highest for minorities across the country, largely due to jobs that don't socially distance, packed housing, and a lack of access to care.
6: Most of the cases are coming because a family member got sick and they tested positive for COVID-19. And there might be several people living, including maybe six people in a two bedroom home where now other family members are also getting COVID-19 because of the lack of capacity to isolate.
5: Adding to the stress, Dr. Flores Uribe's own family members have been infected. When your family comes to you and says, what do we need to do to stay safe? What do you say to them?
6: Yeah, as a family, we've had to develop a plan, right? We talked a little bit about if someone gets sick, who's going to take care of who, who's going to stay with who, and to really make sure that if someone is feeling like they need to go to the emergency department or see a doctor, that we do so like we would before COVID-19.
5: While she's serving COVID-positive patients, she's staying physically away from the ones she loves, all while trying to remember to take time out for her own mental health.
6: So I do talk to them over the phone. We do video chat. Um, If I'm driving to the grocery store or anything like that, I drive by my parents' house and wave from the car. So everyone has different things that help them feel like they're taking a pause. So I go and take my dog for a walk. I talk to my family on the phone, and I remember to breathe. And those are the recommendations that I give to my patients as well.
1: I'm Aaron
7: Katursky. Now over to TJ Holmes thanks aaron joining me now is abc news chief medical correspondent dr jen ashton and i cannot believe we are starting here dr fauci is talking about another virus we need to keep an eye on
8: that's right tj so again we have to remember to keep this in perspective now but we also have to be able to watch more than one emerging infectious disease at a time so he's talking about a new strain of swine flu called g4 ea h1n1 it's right now identified and found in china it is carried by pigs, it is a relative, it's a descendant from the swine flu that was responsible for the 2009 pandemic. Um, This was just announced on Monday. Peer-reviewed data published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Researchers have found that this virus has acquired immune infectivity, although, and this is probably the most important thing, TJ, at this time, it has not yet caused disease in humans.
7: Okay, we're talking about
8: it. How big of a concern? Well, it has the potential to be a real one-two punch here, and that's why Dr. Fauci uh, brought it to everyone's attention. Um, Right now, one of the issues is that public health officials, infectious disease specialists are saying that, quote, while this virus is not an immediate problem, we should not ignore it. We've heard those words before, remember. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to understand that animals, in this case, pigs, our intermediate host and the virus has shown traits already that could put it as a serious potential for a pandemic.
7: Okay, I cannot believe you just said that. Serious Mm -hmm. potential pandemic, how in the world- Potential. How can we do two (laughs) at the same time, first of all? But I guess, is that one of the questions that's out there?
8: Well, I think here's how people should think about this at this time. Remember, in science, in medicine, in public health, observation never stops. And at this point, we are in the observation stage of this new strain of swine flu. It is also very important to prepare for coexisting viral pandemics, whether that's influenza or this new strain of swine flu. And also we're, we're starting to look at whether this becomes a greater issue. Would this strain need to be in future flu vaccines? But I will emphasize again, TJ, in medicine, You can't just hone in on one area. We have to treat the whole body. This is the global viral equivalent of that. We have to be able to keep our eyes on multiple things at the same
7: time. All right, Dr. Ashton, thank you so much. Of course, you're here with us throughout the entire hour. We turn now to Arizona. This week broke its single day record for new coronavirus cases. Jim Lane is the mayor of Scottsdale. He is joining me now. Mr. Mayor, thank you for being here. Your governor out there has put in place 30 days saying that bars, gyms, movie theaters in the state need to close. This is the
9: right move and this is the right time. Well, understanding the information he's working with is real time information and the percentage of positive uh, infestations of uh, COVID-19 coming out of our surgeon testing. Is certainly indicating it's going to be putting real pressure on our health care system. And so, yeah, I think it's the right time to make sure we're managing this as best we possibly can.
7: And Mr Mayor, you have a mask mandate in your town, but you also had an anti mask rally in Scottsdale. Explain to me what's going on there that your citizens are having rallies against wearing something that is supposed to help us get rid of this pandemic.
9: Well, these are folks that, that do concern themselves with their community and their civic responsibility to others as well. But nevertheless, they they like to think that, and frankly, there's a certain real understanding here uh, of maintaining some sense of individual responsibility and and action. But uh, this is uh, this is a uh, protest that took place and and it created a bit of a, a backlash on both sides because it's just. It's difficult when we have such a divergence of views, feelings, politics, and otherwise. So uh, this has all got intermixed and and that became of that. But we we'll we'll settle through it. We'll work through it. But it's not easy in some instances. We're you know in the latest shutdown, or I should say the closure of the bars, uh, it is going to have a profound effect uh, on our economy here in Scottsdale again. And we're looking to make sure we target the right uh, issues in order to stem or to tamp down this infection percentage rate of positive tests and, that, are, you know, that are occurring. We went from 5% to 21% in a matter of three or four weeks.
7: And Mr. Mayor, something else from that anti-mask rally is uh, one of the city councilmen there in uh, Scottsdale, Guy Phillips is his name, actually got up on stage with his mask on and got on yeah. the microphone and said to the crowd, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Echoing those words from George Floyd. Uh, people are calling for his resignation. What was your reaction to that? And do you think he should step down?
9: Well, I immediately issued a statement. I'm talking within an hour of him um, ending that. Uh, that was uh, came as a complete surprise, but uh, certainly he's been on the council for a number of years. I'm not sure what kind of guidance he got, what he was thinking or otherwise, but I'm working very closely with the uh, African American leadership here in uh, in the valley and in my city, and we're we're working through those details to make sure that we're we're attending to some of the very issues that uh, he portrayed in a, in an odd, may I'd say, callous and insensitive way um, that uh, was unthinking. But nevertheless, the consequences are something that we have to deal with as well, and we want to make sure that Scottsdale is seen. Uh, as it, it should be, and we are a, a very good city, uh, and inclusive, and, and certainly understanding and sensitive to the issues that are out there. But again, uh, that was his choice to make those statements. Um, you know, I can't speak for him as far as what what he was thinking. I mean, or wasn't thinking.
7: Uh, well, he has uh, taken some responsibility. He said in a comment afterwards, but still rather shocking that that could come out of a leader's mouth at this time, especially. Uh, but Mayor Lane, we are watching you uh, from here well, and we are rooting for you. We know you all are, are going well, through it like a lot of places have, but go ahead.
9: Let me just say that Please. in response to uh, you know our, our friends in the NAACP here in the East Valley, uh, as it is, uh, meeting with them and, and we're working out some special programs to make sure that uh, we're we're understood that this is not representative of Scottsdale.
7: Mayor Lane, we're watching, we're rooting for you and hope you all are, uh get those numbers going uh, the better direction. Uh, Mayor Lane of Scottsdale, thank you so much today.
9: Thank you, sir.
7: Now the small business owner, Pivot, helping this New Yorker keep her business alive in the pandemic. What she says about all entrepreneurs having to dig deeper now.
10: My name is Lisa Logan. I'm from New York in Harlem, and my salon name is The Nail Suite by Lisa Logan. Before the pandemic, I would definitely describe my business as a thriving business. We went from being a thriving business to completely zero. Every day I get a phone call um, to the salon phone that's like, so are you open? And I'm like, "I, I wish I was. I think the biggest hiccup in the Industry right now will be the delay. Every month I have to pay my rent. In order for me to walk into my salon and still be able to continue business as usual, I have to have all my bills paid. So can my business survive? I have all the supplies that I need. All you have to tell me is I can go to work before the pandemic hit. My daughter hadn't dabbled in making a couple of different products, and the idea was to let's start the soap. We got in her kitchen and just started making soap. Didn't know it was gonna grow to where it was, so now her kitchen has turned into the body suite Harlem, (laughs) because now we're gonna take the backside of the salon and try to turn that into the shop of the soap so that we can make it and sell it within the salon too. It has been profitable to manage um, pivoting my business to making soaps because it's been helpful for maintaining me and my family. So when we decided to move from um, doing nails to making soaps, it was a necessary thing that we had to do to take care of me and my family. One of the things that I, I really believe is that it's important to not be a one trick pony. I would tell people, just take, you know, what you know and make sure that you have something else to fall back on. And also have people around you that can encourage you to like open up your mind to the things that you can do. You have to have people who keep encouraging you because that's how you can pretty much scratch the surface of all those things that you can do. You just have to dig deeper, keep trying to educate yourself on new things that you can do.
7: Well, it up next, right here on What You Need to Know, the doctor is in, Dr. Jen Ashton. She has answers to your questions. And is all that mask wearing doing a number on your skin? Well, we have a dermatologist here with some key strategies for fighting maskne. Am I saying that right? Maskne, yes, we're right back.
8: Hey,
6: I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.
8: Married moms in the suburbs, they've been called soccer moms, they've been called security moms.
2: Pamela Wilk is a so-called soccer mom. Those
6: so-called Walmart moms. She calls herself a hockey mom. I love those hockey moms.
11: The hockey mom
4: trying to connect with the soccer moms. In the 1990s, the idea of soccer moms as the quintessential swing voter took hold. Elections could be won or lost based on a candidate's ability to appeal to them. But were quote-unquote soccer moms actually the deciding factor? In a new series on the 538 Politics podcast, we take a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the campaign throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.
12: People who disappear
7: without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers.
0: There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him.
7: For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. So let's bring back Dr. Ashton, who has answers to your questions. This is always great. Question one, can smoking spread the virus?
8: not directly, but first let's make something crystal clear. Mm -hmm. If you smoke, the single best thing you can do for your health and your life is to stop and Mm -hmm. to try everything you can to stop. Um, The virus can't hitch itself on smoke particles per se. At least we don't think so. The field of aerosol science hasn't particularly studied that yet. But what's interesting about smoke, TJ, is if you can smell someone's cigarette smoke, Mm -hmm. potentially, that's how far a viral particle whether it's a droplet or an aerosol could travel so think about that when you smell it yes you want to keep your distance from secondhand smoke but also remember that that is why it's so important to wear masks because these viral particles can travel as far as that smell.
7: All right, Uh, dentists and orthodontist appointments, are they safe now? A lot of these folks are starting to open back up.
8: Good question, and listen, it really is important for us to keep those appointments. You know, a lot of people, like myself included, miss them, so I'm overdue. I'm gonna be hauling myself into my dentist very soon for a cleaning. They are taking more precautions than ever to keep themselves safe and you safe. So, again, remember, this is not something you're going to be doing every single day. It is important, risk-benefit. There is a risk, probably low because they're going to be all shielded up. Probably the risk is greater to them because you can't be shielded up when they're working in your mouth. But I think you should keep those appointments.
7: All right, next up here, a HEPA filter. What is that first, and does it kill the virus in the air?
8: So this stands for high-efficiency particulate air filter. They can typically block out 99.9% seven percent of anything in the air dust viral particles you name it it doesn't kill anything though but size matters so the size of the sars cov2 molecule the viral particle is about 0.125 microns hepa filters will catch that remember though they do have to be changed They're expensive, they're not everywhere, and they're not going to suck in the virus unless it happens to be going by that filter. So a lot of work to be done there in terms of environmental protection, but HEPA filter is a good thing. All
12: right,
7: interesting one here. Do we know if anyone has natural immunity to the virus.
8: I love this question. It depends on whether this person means born with immunity or can it be passed to them from their mother in utero? The answer to that is no. Um, But natural immunity to a virus typically makes us think of, have you been naturally exposed? In other words, were you infected? Were you sick? We do know that most people who are exposed to any viral infection develop some immunity, but again, it bears repeating. How strong that immunity is, how long it lasts for this virus is not known. Other coronaviruses, remember, they cause 30% of common colds worldwide, Mm. and you still can get another cold. So we don't know how long that immunity may last.
7: All right, Dr. Ashton, thank you as always. See you again here in a second. You can submit your questions to Dr. Ashton on our Instagram at Dr. J. Ashton. We turn now to an overlooked cosmetic casualty of the pandemic. If you've been struggling with Acne caused by your mask, then you're not alone. Mask. is a thing now. It's become a trending issue for many people because of the unprecedented hours long usage of masks. Let's get some help here for anybody struggling with some skin irritation under that mask. Doctor Michelle Henry, dermatologist mask. What exactly are we talking about? Is just an irritation that's caused by wearing the mask all the time?
0: So yes, maskne is acne in the distribution of your mask. You often see it around the line of the mask. And clinically, we call this acne mechanica, because just as you said, it's caused by that friction. That friction causes irritation and inflammation of the follicles, and that can lead to an acne cyst. And you can imagine the combination of that with the oil, dirt, and debris in our skin is the perfect setup for a really robust acne breakout. Further, the environment underneath our mask is very humid. So if you consider the vapors from breathing and talking, and this constant moisture can also cause irritation, inflammation, and ultimately skin breakdown. So how do we prevent against both of these things? It's really all about excellent skin care and gentle skin care. When we have acne, our tendency is to want to do something really aggressive. In this case, we do not want to do that. The skin is inflamed, so it's all about gentle skincare, building up your moisture barrier to really help to prevent against both of these problems.
7: Oh wow! Okay, did you did I? Mechanica acne? What did I hear in there?
13: Acne mechanica. Acne is the mechanica.
7: Term. All right. Well, we have a uh, uh, Amy. Let's listen to her question.
13: Hi, my name is Amy St. Peter. I am from Bangor, Maine. I am a physical therapist. Prior to the pandemic, I. Had occasional breakouts, probably hormonally related, along my jawline. Since the pandemic, I have been having to wear a surgical mask for eight to nine hours out of my day, and I've noticed that my skin seems to be breaking out even more along my chin, sometimes under my eyes. I'm looking for some help on what I can do to make this go away. Um, it is kind of quite painful. Um, it's woken me up in the night because I can feel it under my skin. The problem seems to be getting worse. Uh, Whatever I try to help doesn't, isn't seeming to help make it go away. So my question is, is there something out there that you can recommend to help me clear up my skin issues?
7: Okay, Dr. Henry, help her out here. And you know what, that's a good point she makes. This this is not just a a cosmetic or, or vanity issue. She said it's quite painful. So what do you recommend for her?
0: So, absolutely. So, you know, that friction can cause not only superficial blackheads and whiteheads, but also deep painful cysts. And I see this a lot in a lot of the essential healthcare workers that I care for. So, what I recommend is really five simple steps. So, the first, gentle cleanser. So, we want to cleanse the skin, but again, we don't want to strip the skin of moisture because that moisture barrier is important to prevent against friction and inflammation. The second step, is if you're using a toner, use a gentle toner. So a toner with light ingredients, so low concentrations of lactic acid, glycolic acid, salicylic acid, will help to unclog those pores gently without drying the skin. So avoid harsh toners with ingredients like witch hazel, which can be really, really harsh on the skin. The third and probably the most critical of all the steps is invest in a good moisturizer. So again, we want to create that moisture barrier to protect the skin from that friction. So look for ingredients like hyaluronic acid, ceramides. Those are going to waterproof the skin and keep the bad things out and the good things inside and make our skin stronger. The fourth step is to don't forget your SPF. So A, I want you to always protect your skin against skin cancer because the masks do not provide perfect protection. B, no one wants an unsightly mask tan. But C, if you are to burn, that can worsen your acne and worsen the inflammation. And then the last step is if you're still getting acne after using this good gentle skincare regimen, then you can adopt some traditional acne creams. But again, stick to low concentrations. So low concentrations of salicylic acid, low concentrations of benzoyl peroxide. Those are easy to get over the counter, at a good price point, make sure everything you're using does not clog your pores. So look for the the word non-comedogenic, and that really should help you in the long term.
7: Oh my goodness, and you know what? We are going to be talking about this for a while because these masks, these face coverings are going to be with us, it seems, for a while. So this is something, hopefully we can have you back and give us some reminders and some updates. But Dr. Henry, thank you so, so much for being here.
0: Thank you for having me.
7: We turn now to a group of fathers on a mission to change the narrative around black fathers. Here now, ABC's Janae Norman with an inside look into the online movement called the Dad Gang.
0: Bottles, diapers, and cuddles hosted by the Dad Gang a group of black fathers and supporters shattering stereotypes.
12: The dad gang is an organization on a mission to change the way the world views black fatherhood.
0: Meet Sean Williams, a devoted father
12: of three. Four years ago, a woman approached him and commended him for sticking around. We're not an anomaly. We're not unicorns. Williams realized his friend shared similar experiences and decided to rewrite the narrative on black fatherhood. Being a good father means everything to me.
0: The group hoping to empower its members by replacing negative stereotypes with positive affirmations. I am.
12: I am. Dad Dadgo. During this historic moment, the group is looking to the future. I hope we really change the world and change the way the world views us.
7: Oh, well, Sean Williams, the founder of the Dad Gang, joins us now. My man, so good to see you. And you, you tell me what. You kind of hit on it there a little bit in the piece, but what is the
12: narrative what's the rap on black fathers right now well the narrative um you know after receiving that compliment i really understood that people still saw black fathers as mia or um they like to associate us with being deadbeat dads and it's just not the truth you know i um uh, after getting that compliment and speaking to my friends i really had to dig in and uh find the stats which said that you know black dads were uh, probably one of the most ethnic, sorry, the most active groups out of any ethnic group. And I, I feel like, you know, it needs to change. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking when you get a compliment just for sticking around or for doing what you naturally do as an active dad.
7: Um, how important is this now in this current climate where black men have been so much of the focus when we're talking about racial justice and the protests we've seen in the streets and some of the videos we're seeing? How important is your mission now even more so in this current climate?
12: You know, I think it's really important. A lot of times, when we see, um, you know, a, a, a tragedy like George Floyd and uh, Rashad Brooks and all these uh, black men that we're losing, you know, a lot of police officers or people don't associate them with their families. I uh, think the dad gang, by you know, trying to shatter that stereotype of us being deadbeats, it not just you know sharing those images, not just shatters that stereotype. But it, it's beginning to normalize the image of us black men being fathers and being caretakers and being nurturing. So I, uh, I think it's really important in this time that those images stay. You know, we keep on circulating those images. We're not actors. This is our real life. This is um, you know, we, we being a father is pretty much everything to us. So I think it's really important to keep those videos going, keep those sharing those images, and just normalizing the image of us black men being fathers, Um, especially
7: as young black men. It's a great effort in what you're doing. And I think a lot of people, and I would applaud it as well, but does it frustrate you as well? The fact that you even have, it's like a black dad, we have to have a PR campaign to show what we're doing. Yeah,
12: yeah, it's very frustrating. You know, the, the dad gang wouldn't exist if the stereotype didn't exist. If I didn't feel uncomfortable when I received that compliment, or if my friends didn't feel uncomfortable when they received those compliments or those stares, you know, the dad gang would serve no purpose. So I think, um, you know, uh, for, for a lot of us, myself included, um, I was parenting my kids, and you, you begin to start parenting with a little bit more intentionality, and um, you know, operating with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder because mm-hmm. we know that that stereotype I- exists, and it's a shame. It really shouldn't. It's 2020, you know. Um, a lot of people, when they discover their, the page, uh, a lot of people are surprised to see how you know easily we can populate the page with dads from all over the world. So um, it's frustrating, but here's where we are, and you know we somebody had to do it.
7: <laughs> and last thing, I have a seven-year-old daughter at the house. We we do our hair thing. I think you have a four-year-old daughter. Is that right? Oh, yeah. The the hair thing is real. Um, (laughs) Oh, it's real.
12: It's real.
7: (laughs) How is that? How much fun is that for you? And again, we talk about black fathers in the stereotype, but also just dads in general doing hair. Sometimes you have to combat that.
12: I think it's really fun to to be able to do your daughters here. Uh, you know, traditionally, a lot of uh, older folks or older dads may not have gotten so involved with it, but um, it's a thing. I think I enjoy it. My daughter enjoys it, even if I do a lopsided ponytail. You know, it's it's the fun of her sitting down and you know between my legs and I could just comb through her hair it's it's a bonding experience that I think all dads once you're a girl dad you should definitely (laughs) attempt it Uh, even if you're not good at it attempt it a few times and you'll be fine
7: I can attest it is I always say it's it's undivided attention you have to focus on the hair she has to focus on you and there's nothing else that comes in between you so that's some great time I love it Sean Williams my man good to see you hope to see you again down the road all right thank you so much Well, welcome back, everybody. A story I want you to hear now of passion and perseverance. My next guest used a terrible tragedy as motivation to achieve what most kids can only dream about. And here to tell us about it is Kobe Mayo, survivor of the Parkland shooting. And now a fourth round MLB draft pick of the Baltimore Orioles. Kobe, congratulations. Uh, First of all, what was that like to get that news, to hear, you know what? Your dream is going to come true. You were drafted.
11: Yeah. Uh, and hello. Um, you know, the whole process of the last three months has been crazy, you know, due to COVID, you know, our season was cut short a little bit, but you know, it it was, that process was, was very stressful, but you know, the day of the draft was just, it was an amazing feeling. And, you know, hearing my name on TV was just, it was a feeling that can't even, I can't even picture back in my head because, you know, I I lost all the moments in my head because of all the excitement (laughs) for my family, my friends and, it was just an amazing moment, and I, I really hold that forever.
7: That's incredible, but we, we go back now. People hear Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School 2018, and people remember your student at this school. And, you know, I can't imagine how that day had an impact on the students. But tell me how that day maybe changed your perspective, and did it have some kind of an impact on your motivation and your drive and ultimately getting you to where you are now?
11: Yeah, I always say to this day, if maybe if that shooting never happened, it might not have motivated me to be where I'm at today. And, you know, I I really do take that day as motivation because of all the, you know, students that were lost and teachers that were lost. And I really use that day as motivation to keep, to keep going and do for the community. You know, Anthony Rizzo came back to the, to the community after uh, the next day, flew home from Chicago. He was getting ready to start a season. And, you know, he talked to the community and, you know, it was, it was really big for the community to hear his voice. And, you know, I want to, I kind of want to be that that voice that's heard because I'm, you know, onto better things, and you know I came out of it strong, and that's what, that's really what I want to be as my ultimate goal.
7: And Kobe, it sounds like uh, you feel like you have some type of responsibility. You were blessed, you were spared. A lot of kids were uh, that day, but it sounds like you're taking this on as a blessing and an opportunity that you have a responsibility now to fill.
11: Yeah, for sure. You know those seventeen the seventeen that didn't make it don't have the opportunity to you know fulfill their dreams. and if I can go out there and honor them and fulfill my dreams, I think that that would be the the biggest success that um, anyone can make out of the whole thing that's going on. So um, I want I really want them to to see me reaching my goals and you know hopefully they look down and they're happy with that.
7: Kobe, we are rooting for you in a major way. We have been rooting for uh, that high school, that area for several years here now. Uh, but to see this happen to you and to be able to say congratulations and to hear you now talk about it kind of gives me chills but uh, kobe congratulations really my man we're going to keep an eye on you over the next several years all right good luck to you
11: i appreciate it thank you
7: and that's our program for today i'm tj holmes thanks for listening
8: Married moms in the suburbs, they've been called soccer moms, they've been called security moms.
0: Pamela Wilk is a so-called soccer mom. Those so-called Walmart moms. She calls herself a hockey mom. I love those
10: hockey moms. The
4: hockey mom trying to connect with the soccer moms. In the 1990s, the idea of soccer moms as the quintessential swing voter took hold. Elections could be won or lost based on a candidate's ability to appeal to them. But were quote-unquote soccer moms actually the deciding factor? In a new series on the 538 Politics Podcast, we take a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the campaign throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you
3: get your podcasts.